Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair. There's... Good afternoon. And uh, thank you for those who are uh, able to join us this afternoon for our uh, final Bible study and reading from our daily reading program or plan, whatever you want to call it. This week uh, we've covered chapters 6 through 9 thus far in the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to be looking at chapter 10. As with previous videos, I want to remind you for uh, the opportunity to share this video, if you don't mind, uh, to get this out in front of your friends and family, to help invite them to join with you in this study that you're going through, that we're going through together. Uh, the goal of this study, as it is titled, is to be together in God's Word throughout the year. Uh, and we're doing that, hopefully we're, we're doing that and accomplishing that as we've been reading through. Uh, I've gotten a lot of great feedback so far from uh, many different individuals about the videos and uh, the content that they have, the length, the timing, etc. Um, and if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it from you. You can always leave it in the comment section on the video. Uh, or you can also uh, email that to me directly at minister at loveland.church. <clears throat> if you haven't already, you can also visit our website, loveland.church, uh, to get the latest information about our church. If you've never visited or, or don't know anything about our church, you can check us out there. You can also see previous sermons uh, on there, sermon series, listen to them, uh, as well as keep up with this daily Bible reading as well. All right, without further ado, let's get into our scripture reading this afternoon in Matthew chapter 10. So previously, as we wrapped up chapter 9, Jesus says this line here, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And as the text tells us, the very next verse, again, remember that the original text doesn't have verses, it doesn't have chapter breakups, man, put those in there just to kind of separate things and make things a little bit more, um, I guess, consumable or, or whatever. Uh, but ultimately, Jesus says this, and the next thing that the, the text tells us is, and he called to him his twelve disciples. So he then calls him, calls these twelve to him. Now, of course, the other gospel accounts that we have detail exactly the calling of the 12, these 12 disciples to a full-time discipleship, um, something that we'll look at as we get into the other gospel accounts. Uh, and then there's a separate opportunity, and there's a separate time uh, that in which Jesus, I guess, calls, is the, is the word that Matthew uses, calls them into apostleship in which certain things are, are granted to them, certain gifts, certain abilities that are, are provided to them, uh, and then they go forth and, and use that. Uh, and that's what we read here in chapter 10. So he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So right there, Jesus gives them the ability to do the things that he's been doing so far, and that's casting out demons, casting out unclean spirits, uh, and to heal diseases, and, <coughs> excuse me, and affliction. So that's an important aspect of this. Um, these apostles were the only ones that had this ability, um, and um, 
if you look at Jesus's, or I'm sorry, if Matthew's account, it says he called to him his 12 disciples. Right? There's an ownership aspect to that. Um, and of course, the other gospel accounts, we learn of their apostle nature. Um, so the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother uh, Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So also notice the, the uh, tense in which Matthew uses this, uh, term, this phrase here, who betrayed him, uh, indicating, of course, that this is being written after, um, after the fact, uh, after Christ's death. Um, so these are not like Matthew's daily diaries that he's writing down. This is an account, right? This is a gospel account of the life of Christ. Um, and so uh, there's just a, an interesting point there to, to note. So the next verses here, we get into what I believe uh, is often referred to, and I, I like the term, it's called the limited commission. At the end of the book of Matthew, uh, as well as in Mark and other gospels, we, we see the great commission, right? In which the, the, uh, the apostles and other disciples who were there were told to go into all the world to teach the good news, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and continuing to teach them um, the proper way of living. So this limited commission, however, uh, is limited, right? The Great Commission is the whole world. This one is a small part of the world. And Jesus gives them specific instructions on where they are to go and how they are to handle themselves. So these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, <coughs> and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Meaning, don't accept any kind of payment for what it is you're doing. Uh, what you're performing is not a service in which you are to receive payment. Uh, and as Jesus talked about in, in previous chapters about righteous things and holy things that are being done for the wrong reasons. And, and doing something like healing the sick or, or cleansing a leper or raising the dead, uh, to do that to receive payment, of course, would not be um, proper. Right? That would be going against exactly what Jesus spoke about. Um, in, in the previous sections there. So he says uh, in verse 9, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. Again, building off of what he just said there in verse 8. No bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. He's saying, don't take extra clothes, don't pack a bag, none of that. He says, for the laborer deserves his food. Okay, meaning that's your payment. You know, if someone wants to offer, you know, bring you into your into their house and feed you, you deserve food. Verse eleven: In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So again, we have um, kind of a warning here, but also an encouragement. Um, I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we 
get really bogged down or worried and, and fret about the gospel message that we may be bringing to people not being received um, or the fact that you know we, we say things to people and we're just blown off and, and there's not a whole lot we can do further than that. And as I've said many times before, uh, much as the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Well, you can lead a person to the waters of baptism, but you can't force them to go down in them. Um, of course, you can force them in, but unless they are creating, if, unless they are repentant in their heart and they are making the conscious decision themselves to repent and be baptized, then it's no good. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of kids um, pretend baptize people, you know, in the pool or in the bathtub. They play baptism, uh, which I think is funny. But again, it does nothing, right? There's there's no there's nothing around that. Um, but ultimately. The, the point of this is that, you know, if if you teach them the truth and you show them the things that they need to see and yet they still don't believe or they still uh, persecute you or, or, or drive you out, forget about it. Brush the dust of that town off of you and move on to the next. Meaning the, ta- the, the dust of that town is not even worthy to be settling on your clothing. Just move on. And then he gets into... <coughs> The persecution part. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, one thing I want to point out here, the term serpent is often looked at in a negative connotation within scripture because it often refers to Satan or the devil, um, you know, going back to the to the Garden of Eden and the, and the, the snake or the serpent that was there. Um, but Jesus is saying be wise as serpents, right? He's not being, he's not saying be like a serpent, but basically you want to be thorough and plan ahead because serpents, um, any kind of snake, if you've ever seen a snake and how they interact with, with prey and whatnot, um, they're very methodical, and they're very, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but but basically they they understand their surroundings, they understand how to respond, uh, and they do so very quickly. Um, and it's because of, as Jesus says, it's a wisdom, all right? But ultimately, the next part is to be innocent as doves. So not to strike out like a serpent, but be wise as, as a serpent so that you may uh, avoid danger, and if uh, persecutions or questions come about, you may be able to answer them very quickly because of your wisdom. But ultimately, you are to be innocent as doves and, and timid. Um, not, not timid. Um, reserved, I guess. Um, you know, keep your, keep your emotions under check. Verse 17, Beware of men, for they will... <coughs> excuse me. They will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged for, uh, before governors and kings... For my sake. Oh, did we lose the stream here? One second. Sorry, I think we lost the stream. And keep talking just in case it's just my computer. Saying that we've lost the stream, but we haven't. One second. Sorry, I think okay, I think we're good. Keep talking just in case it's just my computer. No, it's just my computer. 
<coughs> Alright, sorry about that. Technology fail. Alright, where were we? Verse uh, 18. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So we have some some activity there of the Holy Spirit as well. Um, Verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against his parents, or against parents, and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But for one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now that last verse right there may sound confusing, um, but if we look at the term when the Son of Man comes throughout other um, parts of Scripture, specifically uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 16, verse 28, he's referring to the return of the Son of Man after the resurrection. um, Because, of course, the Son of Man is currently there. Um, so that's just kind of a, uh, a generalization right there. Uh, verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So Jesus is using a, um, a parallelism here, if you will, um, Talking about servant and master, of course, we as Christians are servants to our master, the Lord. Uh, and the disciples, in the same way, are uh, under the teacher. Now, what Jesus then says is about, um, goes back to how, uh, I believe it was in the previous chapter, uh, in, in chapter 9, in which the Pharisees called Jesus the prince of demons. He cast out demons in, uh, because he is the prince of demons, or in the name of the prince of demons. And so they're basically calling him Satan. They're saying he is the prince of demons. He's the one who's casting out these demons because they belong to him. And so Jesus is kind of referring back to that and saying, if they'll say that about me, about the teacher, about the master, then how much more worse things are they going to say about you? Um, Again, I don't know how much worse you can get uh, than saying, hey, you're Satan. Um, But uh, nonetheless, (coughs) so that whole section there kind of leads into the next one about fear. But ultimately, um, you know, I think there's something that we can glean from this in terms of um, you know, our, our lives today. You know, persecution comes. And persecution doesn't always mean that we're going to be dragged before governors or um, delivered over to the courts and flogged. Um, you know, it can be just simply evil things spoken against us. Uh, people um, no longer associating with us or uh, wanting us to speak or, or, or what have you. Um, because of our relationship with Christ, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I've I've faced times like that and instances like that in which I'm treated differently because they know I'm a preacher. Uh, that uh, you know, perhaps sometimes they're more careful about what they say, which I appreciate because um, I really don't want to hear that, and hopefully that's a good influence on them. Uh, but ultimately, you know, there's things that that happen in life in which. You're just not going to be a part of, nor do you want to be a part of. That doesn't necessarily mean you're being persecuted, but if you're um, singled out or, or um, you know, made fun of or what have you uh, because of your faith and because of your relationship with Christ, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's going to happen. It happened to Jesus. It happened to his disciples, his apostles. How much more is it going to happen to us today in a culture that 
that defies the gospel, that, that turns their head uh, from the Bible and their eyes from the Bible to their own desires and their own passions. Um, so that's going to happen. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. He says, it's going to happen. And then in the next section here, starting in verse 26, he says, so have no fear of them. Have no fear of man, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will be not or will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, don't fear the people that may kill you because of your faith. But fear the one who your faith is supposed to be in. And again, the fear that we're talking about here is a reverent fear. right? It is not a trembling in the corner, terrified fear. However... That aspect does exist if our sin separates us from God, because, of course, the punishment um, that exists for, for that is death, is destruction, it's the lake of fire. Um, Jesus said he'll cut off the branches and throw it into the fire. So um, Jesus says, don't worry about the people of the world. Worry about what God wants you to do. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then Jesus says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Meaning God is the one who causes that. But <clears throat> even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So this verse is often pointed to or, or tied to um, the, uh, the the gospel plan of salvation, right? After one hears and believes, they then go down into the water. They are immersed in baptism after repentance and confession, of course. But in Matthew chapter 10, the emphasis is, seems to be on more than a, a one-time acknowledgement or one-time uh, profession of Jesus being Lord. When we go down to the waters of baptism, we are often asked, or, 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 or um, you know, when a baptism is performed, it's often asked, um, you know, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And most people say yes, of course. Uh, and it could be for some that that's the last time they say that. It could be for some that that's the last time that they confess that to someone and audibly say that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Son of God. But it seems here that Jesus is saying that we need to be constantly acknowledging him before men. Acknowledges means that it's constantly happening. Because if you're not acknowledging him before men, then you're doing the opposite, which is denying him before men. You see, it's all about a decision to live for Christ, to stand with him, no matter what. Even if the persecutions come, even if you're being made fun of, um, you know, oftentimes if you believe in something and you get picked on for it, the natural human reaction is to say, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm in the wrong here, and that's why people are making fun of me. Um, but Jesus says, you know, in those times, don't worry about them, but worry about what God wants. And again, continue to acknowledge me 
and I will continue to acknowledge you before my father. Oftentimes, too, in our culture, there we may be surrounded by other people who are Christians, uh, who fail to stand up for Christ when um, persecutions or or trials uh, abound. You know, a question is posed at work. You know, you and your Christian friend eat lunch together often, and and someone someone asks um, your friend a question about the gospel, and they kind of back away and say, "Oh, that's not me. You can ask that guy right there." Uh, you know, are you acknowledging? Christ at that point? Or is your friend acknowledging Christ? Um, and are you standing up for Christ in that situation or are you also backing down? So again, just some things to think about there. Are we going to be courageous enough to truly be identified with Christ if it means that we're going to be persecuted? I mean, being a Christian means that we are literally wearing the name of Christ. Christian is Christ is part of that name. And if we're wearing that name, if we're truly living up to being a Christian, are we doing enough? Are we courageous enough to stand in the face of persecution if it comes? Let's continue on. Verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. For whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, some interesting things here that I want to point out. Jesus says that he did not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. I think a lot of times we think that world peace is something that's actually accomplishable. I don't think it is. The only way that world peace could ever be accomplished is if everybody is of one mind and is of um, the same belief and only peace can come from Christ, from God. And if the, the whole, if just one person in the entire world is outside of that thought process, then there cannot be world peace. And that's why Jesus said he brought a sword. Because what he's bringing, the, the truth, right, the truth is not going to be accepted by everyone. And that's going to cause conflict. And it has caused conflict ever since Jesus walked the earth. And it will continue to cause conflict until he returns. And he resolves that conflict. Jesus says that the conflict is often going to be even in our own homes. And I think he uses this metaphor, he uses this teaching here to let us know that... Um, this is probably one of the hardest things you may ever have to do. I've heard stories before of, of, uh, of teenage children being kicked out of their homes because they decided to obey the gospel, uh, but they were Catholic. And they left behind the Catholic faith, and, and the, the, the father said, you can no longer live here. And so he went to live with his friend who had been teaching him the gospel and had converted him, but his friend had done his due diligence. He had gone to the priest at the church uh, that they were attending, and he asked him questions about what was in the Bible, and the priest took his Bible away and said, you don't need that, let's just talk. You see, sometimes it means that we're going to have to forego our family. If our family rejects us for the faith that we have, then we have to, again, brush the dust off of our feet 
continue and hopefully pray and, and continue to urge them to obey the truth and, and hear the truth. But ultimately, if they uh, go go the, uh, the to the lengths of of uh, pushing you out of the house uh, and and forsaking you, um, then Jesus says there's still hope. You still have hope with that. But ultimately, that could happen. Now, verse 38 um, is an interesting verse that I think a lot of people misuse. It says, "Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me." Um, I've heard this. I've heard the saying, you know, um, you know, this is just my cross to bear. Well, that's not exactly what this means. This the, bearing your cross, taking up your cross, does not mean burdens. Carrying a cross is a burden, yes. But what Jesus is saying is, we are we are called to die. Bearing a cross has little to do with dealing with burdens or hardships <clears throat> like losing a job or getting cancer. Those are terrible things and things that you know I wish on nobody, but that is not what it means to bear the cross. It is all about death. It's about carrying the instrument that is going to lead to your own death. And Jesus calls us to die to self so that we might live in him. And he's saying that if if it means that death is what's going to be the cause, if, if, if that's the end, because of our faith in Christ, if we are killed because of our faith in Christ, then that's what it has to be. I hope no one ever has to come to that, but we know as we look uh, overseas and we look in the Middle East and Christians being killed and crucified and murdered because of their faith, that's what Jesus is meaning here about carrying, taking up his cross and following him. Because in the face of that death, in the face of that ultimate persecution, that ultimate martyrdom and, and, and death, based on your faith, if you then reject your faith, if you then say, no, no, I'd rather live than die for Christ, then you are denying him in front of man, and he too will deny you in front of the Father. Again, I hope that's nothing that we ever have to face in our lifetime. And uh, being uh, in the country that we live in and the freedoms that we have, uh, we are blessed to not have fear of that. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. And so it's a, it's a dire instruction, but it is ultimately one that carries with it hope. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 40, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no, uh, he will by no means lose his reward. That last verse gives me a chuckle because Lincoln loves to go back to the water fountain. Um, and I, I know there's folks back there from the church that help him get a cup so that he can take a drink. And it always spills all over his chest. But it always reminds me of this, this verse. And it makes me snicker that, that people are literally going back and giving my little one a cup of water every day. Because they, they, they don't want to lose their reward. Either that or they just want to help him get a drink of water. Um, but either way here, uh, you know, Jesus is saying... You know, our reception of Jesus uh, should be reflected in our life. And it should be reflected, you know, in the whole context of this chapter and even previous chapters. It needs to be reflected uh, in, in how we acknowledge him before men. 
Um, we acknowledge him, of course, in our baptism, uh, but how we live after that as righteous people or seeking righteousness, um, you know, ultimately it's, it surrounds receiving Christ and, and ultimately then receiving, receiving God. All right. Had a number, a uh, large number of people join us today. Uh, I think that's our highest number so far, which is great. Uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can always leave that down in the comment section below. And as I mentioned before, if you want to subscribe to the podcast or you want to see uh, further uh, of these daily study videos <coughs> or any other information about uh, our congregation, you can go to loveland.church. You can see uh, on the screen here just an example of of our website. And uh, if you click on the media section there, you can see sermon audio or daily Bible study. You can see the previous episodes that we've gone through. There's also a section there for sermon audio, as I mentioned, uh, that you can uh, you can uh, see previous sermons too. Uh, speaking of sermons, this week our lesson is going to be focused on a lot of what we read today in chapter 10, as well as what Jesus teaches in uh, Matthew chapter 8 that we also read this week regarding the cost of discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, and what it means that we may have to give up in order to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, and so we'll we'll look at that Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Uh, when we gather together for worship. Of course, we also gather together at 10 a.m. for Bible class and study as well. So I hope you have an opportunity to join us. If you can't join us in person, you're always welcome to join us live on our Facebook page as well as we go through that. If you can't do that, it'll always be on that sermon audio page as well. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great weekend, and I hope the Lord continues to bless you. If we can pray for you or assist you in any way, please let us know. You can either drop a comment, you can direct message us here on Facebook, or you can email us at info.loveland.church. Info That's the right one. I'm only halfway through my coffee, so we'll get there. I hope you all have a great rest of your day and a fantastic weekend. God bless. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night. No cold and no rain will fall there, for the sunshine's ever bright. I'll need no heavy garments, I'll just wrap my robe around. When I receive my mansion...